I can take iconography that people recognize from my country and I can reinterpret it and I can spin it around and make it work for me. So I'm really into remixing cultures. I always say, you know, the big lesson about the life is it's, a, it's really good to acknowledge where you're from, but that shouldn't define who you are. Listening to Inside Acting, a podcast dedicated to demystifying the inner and outer game of success in the entertainment industry. I'm Trevor Algott. And I'm AJ Meyer. And in episode 304, we have the third and final part of Jasmine and my interview with Jorge R. Gutierrez. In part three, we talk about Jorge's visual artistic style, including how his relationship with his native country of Mexico influences his art, which then, of course, leads us to a conversation about the Pixar film Coco. Was all of the controversy warranted? Well, you'll get the behind-the-scenes version of what went down as these two movies came into being at almost the exact same time. Plus, Jorge turns the tables on us as interviewers in the final two questions. It's a beautiful ending to a beautiful interview. Stay with us. Support for this episode of Inside Acting is brought to you in part by Rehearsal Pro, the current version of Rehearsal, the most awesomest version yet. It is an essential app for every actor to have in their toolbox. It's available right now inside the iOS app store. So if you want to learn your lines, be off book for your auditions quickly, reliably, explore your character, make stronger, bolder choices, and do a bunch more cool stuff, go to rehearsal.pro slash IAP right now where you can learn Learn all about the great new features in this newest version of Rehearsal, the groundbreaking essential app designed by actors specifically for actors. That's rehearsal.pro slash IAP. Hey, Trev. Hey, man, I have to I have to ask what is I, I, I sort of tangentially peripherally know what the controversy around Coco was, but uh, just just right off the bat here, what exactly was the controversy for our listeners around Coco? Oh, well, um, the sort of themes and not really the plot, but kind of the plot, mostly the themes of, of the Book of Life, which was Jorge's movie, and Coco are very similar. They're both movies that um, use Mexican folk art that um, take place around the Day of the Dead and the Day of the Dead sort of um, culture and holiday, etc., um, they both have, a, you know, a main protagonist hero who plays the guitar. I mean, there was there were all of these like things that because people didn't know the exact plot or the exact the exact ins and outs of, of the two films, they just immediately were like, oh, it's the same movie. Jorge talks about this in the interview. They were like crazy Pixar people, like Pixar fans, like like rabid, devout Pixar fans who knew Coco was coming out and were accusing him of plagiarizing. And then after his movie came out and he had fans of his film, those people were like, oh, here comes Pixar, this big corporate, you know, giant coming in to steal this like smaller sort of in, in indie animated films ideas and, 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 and make a bunch of money off of it. And none of it was – anyway – I don't want to give anything away. You'll see, you'll hear about it in the interview. But in the age of the internet and social media, it, it was just a breeding ground of people just being ridiculous and like just chucking accusations at, at one another. Um, <laughs> I don't know how else to describe it. I mean, what, what else is the internet good for right, besides honestly. the comments section? <laughs> 80% of the traffic on the internet is people trolling each other. Right. Uh, uh, yeah, I kind of sort of knew about that, but I didn't really pay too much attention to it. But um, interesting, man. And doesn't that happen a lot in the entertainment industry? Like, isn't there, aren't there a lot of copycat movies? Like, It reminds me of Big Magic, honestly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Elizabeth Gilbert's book, because she talks about, like, the muse going around and, you know, it's possible for, you know, two people to be inspired by the same idea around the same time. And if you, if you do, you know, believe in 
um, the zeitgeist, the greater consciousness, et cetera, then it makes a ton of sense actually. Mm. And, um, you know, she talks about like books that were, you know, transferred from one person to another, like the idea for a book that was, you know, transferred from one person to another. And then, um, while you were talking, I thought of another example and it's, it's now gone out of my head, but, uh, but yeah, there was, what was it? Armageddon and deep impact, right. Came out around the same, the same time. And- yeah. And there were, there were a slew of like volcano movies and there were like a slew of like, you know, man-made disaster movies like Titanic type, uh, like, like the theme was like, look at this amazing feat that humans have, you know, accomplished. And then it was, of course, everything goes awry. <laughs> They're like, you know, they, they come in waves, it seems. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I guess I'm not true. surprised on this. I'm not surprised. It's interesting that, you know, I mean, it's just, it, it's kind of like, it kind of proves in this sort of, uh, subjective way, the idea of the hundredth monkey, you know, it's this, it's like, it's like that, but for humans with ideas for media, do you want to talk about the the Earth monkey? I think we've talked about. You were all quiet. I was like, right, right. I have this completely wrong. Uh, yeah, the hundredth monkey. From what I understand, and correct me if I'm wrong, AJ. It, it, it's a really interesting thing, and you can look this up online on Wikipedia and various encyclopedias. There, there was a, a, a I don't know. It was like around the fifties, I think, or maybe it was even earlier. But there were these two teams of scientists who were working on opposite sides of the planet, and they had no idea that they were both sort of doing this this research, this similar research on um, different groups of, of primates. And uh, around the same time, like within weeks or months of each other, they noticed that these primates started behaving in a completely new way. And I, I think they were like... They started digging in the ground with sticks in a very specific way, or they were... No, no, they were, they were washing some sort of like root tuber vegetables or something. They were washing them in a stream or something, but it was like a completely new behavior that these anthropologists and, and, you know, animal behavior specialists had never seen before. And it just started happening around the same time. And they, they both sort of documented like, Hey, this is really odd. And when they sort of learned of each other's work, again, I hope I'm getting this right. But when they sort of learned of each other's work, they, they compared notes and they were like, Wow, it, it seems like that once a handful of, or they both observed this, I believe, in the groups of monkeys, that once a handful of these monkeys started behaving a certain way, and it was at, at about 100, then they all started behaving that way, even if they weren't uh, in contact in any way, shape, or form on opposite sides of the planet. And so it was like so basically crazy. on one side of the planet, 100 monkeys give or take, started behaving this way. And then all of a sudden it was like there was a tipping point reached in the collective, you know, consciousness or unconsciousness or whatever of these monkeys. And then they all started adopting this behavior and nobody could explain it. It was just sort of this ethereal psychic energy that sort of they all started doing. And I think that if you look around, if you really look closely at humanity, that happens all the time. There Mm. is this collective unconsciousness that we're tapped into and we all sort of get swept up in the zeitgeist and we can't explain it, but... Napoleon Hill says it in Think and Grow Rich, everybody's brain, every brain, animal, you know, or I should say uh, human or non-human is uh, a sending and receiving station. I mean, we send thoughts and we receive thoughts. And I think we're very often unaware of the thoughts that we receive and pick up as we walk around. But uh, I kind of think that's how it works. So trippy. You know, Jasmine just got back from a, a conference in San Francisco um, called uh, Wisdom 2.0. It's like a mindfulness um, conference. And one of the big themes this year that she brought back with her is <clears throat> quantum physics is beginning to prove scientifically with like data and all the stuff to back it up that we are all connected. Oh, yeah. And people who are like you and I and like a little new agey, eh, screw you, um, are are already sort of tapped into that idea. Um, But what but the difference now is there's data starting Mm. to back it up. Mm. And uh, this one speaker that she saw said humanity will, will rise or fall on this idea. If we do not embrace it, that's it for us. If we do embrace it, we can get we can figure it out and we will survive and, and, and you know, move um, forward into, you know, future millennia. But anyway, it's um, 
there's something uh, <laughs> there's something in the zeitgeist about the zeitgeist. Trevor. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> it's very meta. Yeah, yeah. Um, Trevor and I don't have a lot of news uh, to to discuss necessarily this this week, unless I'm speaking out of turn, Trev. I don't want to speak uh, for you, but. Um, we did get a really cool message from one of our longest uh, supporters and listeners, um, Christina, and she wrote in. I love this. It, it's, it, gets, it gets me emotional just looking at it. Hmm. She wrote in and said, uh, basically, these are the top 10 things I learned from inside acting. So. Again, not sure what's going to happen after Trev's departure, if we're just going to, you know, close up shop or or what. I know it's funny because we're getting a lot of like, thank you, Trevor's. And we're also getting a couple people saying like, oh, I hope AJ <laughs> keeps going with it. Um, I still don't know. Uh, no answer on that. But should we wrap things up? I love that Christina put this together. These are this is her list. The top 10 things I learned from inside acting. I thought maybe, Trevor, you and I could just take turns kind of reading one off at a time. Yeah, totally. Number one, right up my alley, read more. Yeah, you should read that. <laughs> read more. Read more. That's it. Amen. Amen. Not enough <clears throat> reading happening in the world. Read more. Yeah. Uh, number two is exercise more. Mm-hmm. Number three, care about the environment. Mm. I love that we could help people know that learn that mm. number four care about unions yeah that, that, that's been a huge one for me over the years that uh man the unions are such a blessing and a lot of people have fought really hard and we get to stand on their shoulders and enjoy the benefits of their their labor so care about the unions absolutely number five have an opinion about casting director workshops in other words know what you stand for I love that, that it's about taking a moral stance and not compromising on your values just because you think you might get a lucky break. Hmm. I love that that's in her top 10. Yeah. Like this, the whole CD workshop thing. That's um, that's funny. I guess we did talk about it a lot. Number six, be specific. Huge in acting and career goals in life. Be specific mm-hmm. in acting and career goals in life. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I I would add to that, that it doesn't necessarily need to be, quote unquote, the right choice. I think a lot of us get hung up, Mm. really speaking to myself here, but I get so hung up on like (laughs) not choosing a specific focus or a specific, you know, direction because I I don't want to make the wrong choice. But I'm learning that there, there really are no wrong choices, that there are just choices and that we all have within us a lot of resources and adaptability that we are built for survival. And no matter what we choose, we're going to be able to survive. We're going to make it work, uh, it, you know, regardless of whether it's the quote unquote right or optimal choice for us at the time. So just yeah. choose something, be specific and lean in that direction. And then, you know, make adjustments along the way. The biggest, the biggest lesson I had in, in that was that um, Heather's the decision of whether or not to go. I talked about this on the show before, but yeah. whether or not to go, you know, it's like, oh, what's right, what's right, what's right? And finally, you know, my bride-to-be was like, there is no right or wrong. There's just a choice. And then everything that happens after that. Yeah. You know, I was, oh, hippie, huge. Um, so huge, yeah. And, and really, the, the, the choice is not the answer. The answer is how you respond to the adversity that inevitably follows. <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah, for sure. That's it's a trip. It's just it's the simplest most life-changing truth that I think I've come across yet in my my years. <laughs> yeah. Uh number 7, do your own work. Make your own stuff. Open make your own door for your, for you to walk through. I think Mark Gant said that all the way back in like the twenties, episode twenty seven or twenty eight or something like that. Make your own door so you can walk through that door. So you don't have to be knocking on somebody else's door. Huge. Yeah. Huge. Number eight. Famous, infamous. Working, not working. Just starting out or in the biz a long time. We are all one big family of artists. Yeah. Oh, man, I love that. Yeah. I love that. Any, any, any small, 
effort, any small drop in the bucket that we had to do with that, anybody be- believing that or, or seeing each other as a, um, you know, as a, as a friend, as a family member, as opposed to a competition or whatever, I, I'm extremely proud of. Mm. You know, this reminds me of something my agent said to me at our very first meeting. And I'm going to try and not butcher this in the moment, but he, he said something along the lines of his philosophy being shake everybody's hand on the way up the ladder because you're going to be shaking everybody's hand on the way back down. Hmm. And Tony Horton alluded to that. You know, he, he said like, you know, getting to the top is hard. Staying there is even harder. And it's, there's a lot of competition. Everybody wants to be successful, but it's at the end of the day, it's about, did you help somebody? Were you in service to the greater good of not only humanity, but, but other people's journeys? Um, he talked about giving a lot of talks for free because he considers those training for the paid gigs. And I, I don't know, we, we are all one big family and we owe it to ourselves to help each other out. When, when you impose lack on someone else, you're really only hurting yourself. So yeah, all one big family, mm. uh, which leads nicely into number nine, be a good person all the time, everywhere with everyone to, uh, quote, Steve Rohr, be a star wherever you are. All life mm. is, it's all practice, man. So always be practicing. Yeah. Be a good person. So, yeah. so simple. Yeah. So simple. Also, Christina, what's up? That's number nine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> read more is number one. I don't think these are in any particular order. I'm giving her a hard time. I, I don't, I really, <laughs> I don't think she meant, I don't think she intended for be a good person to be below exercise more. Right. And finally, number 10, this is awesome. Knowledge bombs, which is in quotes, knowledge bombs are the only good kind of bombs there are. Boom. So, Christina, thank you for this epic top 10 list. This is absolutely beautiful. I've been grinning from ear to ear since the moment I saw it on Facebook. And um, it's a real honor to be able to share this on an episode. And thank you for your support and uh, your ears over the years. And this was awesome. It's just warm fuzzies all over the place right now. Thank you so much for sharing this. Beautiful. Cool, man. Uh, before we, we get into the interview, I, I just do see here in the outline that you had a meeting with a new commercial agent. Yeah, it's um, <clears throat> same agency, but uh, I don't know if I mentioned this on the show. We had a very strange um, stretch of time where the main um, agent that I was brought in initially to meet, met with first and 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 sort of, you know, was the initial relationship that I had in that office left. He went to a different agency, which, you know, it's the business. It happens all the time. Not a big deal. I still had auditions after that and before this new person came in, but they brought in someone new um, to replace him. And I had a meeting with her and it was just, it was awesome. It was really chill. I just went in. My whole goal was to just, you know, be myself. I didn't prepare anything, you know, I didn't even know like, I didn't have any, I didn't even have any questions to ask. You know, she even asked me, she's like, do you have any questions for me? I'm like, no. I was like, do you have a business card? <laughs> like, I, don't, I, I, I didn't like, uh, cause I, my whole, my goal was to just go in and, and be myself. And it just, it just went really well. And I, I put it in the outline because I, I, I wanted to, I guess the best term is, is thank. I wanted to thank our listeners for, Basically being around as you and I kind of explore everything, all, all different aspects of this industry, including authenticity. And, you know, whenever I go into an audition these days or go into one of these meetings, I feel like I'm bringing the whole – speaking of the collective consciousness, I feel like I'm bringing the whole of our community and the whole of our, you know, hundreds of guests into the room with me because there is a wisdom – and a knowledge and a comfort and an authenticity and a vulnerability that comes along with having had all of this experience, all of the, all of these conversations. And that wouldn't have been possible without our listeners, you know? So that's why I put it in the outline. It's more of a thank you to, uh, to our, our listeners that it, it was one of the best meetings ever because for me, because it was just so comfortable and you know, we, we laughed and we had a good time and we hugged when I left. Like it was, you know, I feel really good about having her there. And, and, and I know that, um, that relationship is going to hopefully, you know, bear fruit in the, um, in the, in the commercial world. So, 
No doubt that it will, man. It's so cool to to uh, notice how we have just sort of slowly over the course of this podcast figured out that it's just about being yourself. And that is a skill set in, it, in its own right. Uh, being yourself. I think when people say be yourself, it's kind of like asshole like do you know how hard that is sometimes <laughs> especially in this industry where you know every there's a lot riding on potentially meetings like this and but it's like the older you get the more you realize like look it, it, honestly opportunities are everywhere and if i you know do those top things that christina outlined there's going to be plenty more in the future so it takes the pressure off and you can just kind of chill out and not take everything so you know intensely and seriously and and to quote darren petty one of our past guests you can start to really wear life like a loose garment. And that's mm. really, I think, how to do it. That's how to do it in this industry is just chill out. Chill out. Be in it for the long haul. Uh, on, you know, Listen to your, your intuition and, and just enjoy people. Enjoy people. Forget everything yeah. else. Just be, be good to people and be good to yourself. Amen. All right. I'm down. End the podcast yeah. right there. <laughs> course we want to hear from our sponsor vo2gogo.com what is that well it's the award-winning voiceover training system and winner of backstage's reader's choice award for best vo training four years in a row that's all no big deal visit vo the number two gogo.com slash start for a free getting started in voiceover online class that'll help you add voiceover to your acting portfolio that's vo the number two gogo.com slash start hmm Awesome. All Boom. right. Okay. So here we go, man. Part three of your chat with uh, with Jorge, your and Jasmine's chat. There's not much to say, guys. It just picks up right where the last one left off, and I was very sad to end this one, but uh, hopefully someday we'll have Jorge back on the show. And you talk about this, too, in things that I've read about what you've said about your own art, Jorge. But I've noticed that you really enjoy, you know, this this sort of mashup of the the corporate icons with the the Mexican folk art. You know, you've got like Mickey Mouse and SpongeBob and and the Simpsons and all these crazy, you know, um, uh, that kind of iconography in your in your art, you know, all mashed up with uh, you know the the Mexican folk art or the or the art that we would associate with uh, the Day of the Dead. Um, I feel like it's your sort of fun, funny response to reconciling art with corporate culture, and I'm wondering how you manage to do that in your animation. Um, in addition to your painting? That's a, that's a really good question. <laughs> uh, you know, I think it was because of the way I was raised. Uh, I was raised Catholic. So I, I was, I got to see a lot of reinventing of, of iconography, especially religious iconography and seeing different versions of the same thing. And then I got to see sort of what I, you know, bootleg culture. I got to see knockoffs of things especially coming from the U.S. or Japan or, or, or Europe in Mexico. And I got to see the Mexican versions of those things and how people would make them their own. Uh, and so, for example, Bart, you know, The Simpsons, I always tell the story. I saw Bart, Bart Sanchez T-shirts uh, before I ever watched The Simpsons. So when I finally saw the cartoon, I kept waiting for Bart Sanchez to oh show up. Oh, my God. <laughs> And he never did. Uh, and then, you know, there's a famous American cartoon, uh, He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. Mm -hmm. And the bad guy in that is Skeletor. So that was my one of my earliest memories is having a Skeletor toy 
And I thought he was a Mexican Day of the Dead superhero. Huh. Wow. Because it was like the buff guy with a skull head. Yeah. And eventually I see the cartoon and it broke my heart that not only not only was he not Mexican, but he's he a bad, the bad guy. guy. Yeah. 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 So this idea that wherever this thing comes from, that doesn't define what that is. What defines what that is is what you do with it. Hmm. And so I've loved that idea of Mexico. I can take iconography that people recognize from my country and I can reinterpret it and I can spin it around and make it work for me. So I'm really into remixing cultures. Um, and with, with, with that comes, of course, a lot of responsibility. Uh, and a, but a lot, at the same time, a lot of commentary can be made about certain things. Uh, and so what I try to do with my work is that reflect Mexican pop culture, but also folk culture, but also sort of acknowledge this idea that we can change what these things mean. I always say, you know, the big lesson in Book of Life is it's, a, it's really good to acknowledge where you're from, but that shouldn't define who you are. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah, that's that's really in wow. I'm actually taking that in in today's current climate. You know, you mentioned the hate mail, but uh, the that's sort of one of the best, uh, most practical, down to earth, anti nationalist sentiments that I've ever heard. It's it's because it's so simple. You can acknowledge right. where you're from, be proud of where you're from, but you don't have to let it define who you are. And right now, it's sort of sweeping the the world, right? In in the US, we had just had Brexit in the UK. Yeah. You've got this, you know, crazy dictator in the Philippines and it's all about like national pride and pureness and that kind of thing. And uh, you know, obviously your artwork is the opposite of that with all the mashups, but then what you just said, like you can be proud of where you're from and acknowledge where you're from, but it doesn't have to perpetually define who you are. And I see it I see it a lot in food and in music where people seem to be mixing things. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think it's taking a while on all the other arts to catch up with those ideas. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think you're starting to see it that a lot of times, uh, you know, where you're from becomes a crutch. And I think it should be your strength. But again, it cannot, it, that can't be your character trait. Mm. It can't be... That's, you know, I do this because I'm Mexican. Like, I hate when people say stuff like that. But it's like, no, you do this because you made that choice. Yeah. Right. Don't put it on this other giant thing. Even <laughs> though I just said it's probably because I was raised Catholic. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that's different. That's an association. <clears throat> yeah. That's not necessarily basing it off of that. Um well, I, I know we're running out of time, Jorge, and we, we have our final two questions that we always sure. ask all of our guests. Um, but I, 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 I feel like I would be not doing my due diligence if I didn't ask you about your thoughts on Coco, um, because so many people, include myself included, when I first saw the trailers for it, I was like, wait a second, that looks... That looks like, you know, this, you know, big behemoth that is Disney Pixar coming along and doing something that, you know, uh, these people did for $50 million, but doing it for probably much, much more money. Um, and one of the things that I read recently online was, you know, uh, some articles coming out finally saying things like, stop pitting these two movies against one another and just you know, sort of live in the gratitude that we got two films made about Mexico, about the Day of the Dead. Like, let's celebrate that. So um, you have th th I even found like a post that you posted on Twitter, like, geez, like five years ago. Well, no, it was four years ago, ago something like wishing them well. So I know that that's kind of how you feel. But I'm wondering if you could just speak uh, briefly about, you know, your sort of attachment to or experience philosophy with or philosophy on mm -hmm. Coco? Well, I, you know, I'm like all animation people. I'm a huge fan of the Pixar movies. And I can honestly say that when I was working on, you know, Book of Life and the news came out that Pixar was going to do a Day of the Dead movie, people in the crew freaked out. And 
I, I mean, we thought that was it for us. Mm-hmm. We thought they, that the news of them doing a movie with the subject matter was big enough to potentially have Fox say, you know what, we're not, we're not going to back this. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, and so to hear that your heroes are doing something on the subject matter was kind of shocking to me. Uh, we rallied, and it became something that sort of motivated us. And I think to some extent, it it motivated Fox at that point to say, well, if Disney's willing to take a risk on this weird subject matter, then maybe we're onto something. Mm-hmm. And so it became a positive. I, you know, animation community is pretty small, so I have friends who were working at Pixar who couldn't tell me that they were working on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, the way these movies are done, it takes you know four or five years to make them. Yeah. And so it it was it was like running a marathon, but knowing the Terminator <laughs> was waiting with, for you at the finish line with, with Buzz Lightyear's head was running behind. <laughs> uh, and so uh, as 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 time went by, and I remember thinking, I, I'm not gonna, I can't make this us versus them. This has to be a friendly thing. Um, and so I went out of my way to not say anything and not sort of try to start anything. But the, the press really wanted that versus thing, right? Yeah. Book of Life comes out, and I would get asked all the time, hey, how do you feel about the Pixar movie coming? And I, I, was, I, I, I stayed pretty, pretty neutral with that stuff. After the movie came out, the director of Coco, who at that point I had never met, now we're friends, uh, wrote me on Twitter and just congratulated me. Yeah. And from that point forward, I was like, I, this is a sign. We have to, we have, and I told them, we have to meet. We are now going to be linked forever. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, the, the Coco trailer comes out, all this hate stuff starts coming. I basically started getting attacked by Pixar people. Uh, <laughs> Pixar fans who are very red said, you stole the idea for Coco. Uh, and you rushed out your movie to beat them. That was the narrative. Oh, that my was gosh. And so he had to say something about that, how that wasn't the case. And wow. at some point, it hit me. This is all great for drama, especially for Twitter and, and the clickbait sure. audience. Yeah. But we can't let that get in the way of the fact that they're making a movie about celebrating Mexican culture. And I will applaud that till I die anybody who's willing to take that risk because mm-hmm. it's not a guaranteed hit I mean now Coco did really well so it looks like it was a, a risk mm-hmm. that was a really risky thing for those guys too uh, so Book of Life comes out it did okay it made a hundred million dollars I think they expected a lot more um, we did not do well in the middle of the country. Basically, wherever Donald Trump won, that's where we did that. Oh, I'm so surprised. <laughs> yeah, surprised, right? And we would get hate mail. We would literally get letters saying, why would I watch a movie about my partner? Why oh, wow. Uh, about them. Why like would you them. Who has yeah, time why? to write that letter? Oh, right. God. So, uh, and, I feel so bad for them. We did really well in Latin America. We did really well in certain parts of Europe. But, they, you know, we didn't do well in certain countries. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as time went by, again, the narrative kept coming. Coco versus Book of Life. Coco versus Book of Life. And finally it got to the point where I just had to explain to everyone, okay, guys, regardless of what everybody thinks, what's at stake here? If Coco doesn't do well, what happens? Mm-hmm. That means Hollywood goes, I told you, don't make movies about Latin topics. Mm -hmm. Don't make movies with people of color being the main characters. Don't make movies that deal with this subject matter. It's like if Wonder Woman didn't do well. Mm -hmm. Hollywood go, no more female superheroes, no more female directors. Mm -hmm. That's what this when a movie like this. Yeah. So... I make movies that deal with the subject matter, and I am a minority director. So I need Coco to do really well. Right. Yeah. So aside from my friends working on it, and aside from how kind Lee Unkrich, the director, had been, it's in my best interest to have a movie like that do well. Yeah. I have to think of the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's such a great way to look at it, too, because we definitely have the, uh, you know, all boats rise with the tide uh, attitude on, on the show. So 
that's such a, a beautiful way to look at it at a, I don't know, a more macro level. Like the, it costs us pennies by comparison to what a feature film like that costs to produce this podcast. So I'm glad to see that even with that amount of money, there's still good people like yourself and this other director who are who who have that attitude like we we can all sort of win here um cool so uh we uh we always ask these two questions uh of our guests and uh get very interesting answers um the first one is um do you feel like this industry this life as an artist chose you or did you choose it um i you know it's very interesting that's a great question when i was a little kid i remember making a deal with myself where i said i'm not gonna grow up i'm gonna stay a kid forever and i now you know i'm a 42 year old guy i still feel that kid's in control like I'm basically um, a giant robot for that little kid. <laughs> so I think I had no choice. I think this, I was born into this. Um, my wife jokes that, you know, one of these days you're going to have to get a job doing something that's a grown up job because you get to be a professional child. And I love it. Yeah. Don't do it. Don't yeah. do it, Jorge. <laughs> you tell Sandra we said don't do it. <laughs> but that's a great question. Wow, I never thought about. It. What about you guys? How do you guys feel Ooh. about that? Uh, I've only I've only been asked it once, and it was because I was a guest on someone else's podcast who actually was inspired by our podcast. Um, and I said that uh, I think that it chose me, but that. Um, because of the nature of art and how challenging it is to live a life as an artist, you have to wake up every day and continue to choose it, which is what I find huh. myself doing. That was my answer. Have you ever answered that question, honey? Yeah, what about you, Jasmine? I don't know. Uh, I don't think I have. Um, but my answer would be that it chose me. Just I, I was a dancer and have been a dancer my whole life, and I feel like that's sort of my primary artistic drive um and and that's something that literally lives in your cells so i didn't i didn't choose that my it just lives yeah. lives in me um but i definitely agree with the choosing it cuz there's some days where i don't choose it where <laughs> 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 i want to choose something else but yeah i i like that question too uh, the second question is, if you uh, could boil down all of your experience and wisdom and learned lessons into one nugget of advice for our listeners, what would, the, what would that nugget of advice be? Okay, the nugget would be, and it's food-based, because yes. <laughs> I, I love food. Okay, here it goes. Yeah. The tacos of success are gripping with the salsa of failure. Yes. Ooh. Yes. <laughs> oh man. I'm I'm inspired and hungry yeah, at the same time. Yeah, we're going to have tacos for dinner. You cannot have one without the other. And Love it. failure will make the success more delicious. Damn. Beautiful. Yo, mic drop. We're going to put in a little, like, I don't know, exploding sound right here, Jorge. Oh, wow. So good. Jorge, uh, you're one of those people, you're one of those guests where we get to the end of the interview, and I feel like, man, I wish we could just talk to this person <clears throat> for hours on end. Aww, so thank you, guys. Thank you thank so you. much for coming on the show. Um, so appreciate it. So appreciate it. Can't wait to get this out to our community um, it's been really inspiring to talk to you. I can't wait for that in-person meeting someday. Um, and we'll, we'll book we'll book lots of meetings with you and watch you drive away. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait to meet you 16 times from the first time we plan. 
uh, meeting, uh, and, and I'm and I'm I'm so looking forward to whatever you know you have uh, in the works and whatever's coming next for you. Um, Lego, maybe. Oh yeah, what is this Lego thing? Maybe, I want to know about yeah. Maybe? I want to know about this. Uh, I can't think too much about it, but yeah. I have a Lego movie. Yes. Uh, oh my god, I'm so excited. <laughs> okay, so if he so here we 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 always want to give the guests an opportunity to sort of uh, you know plug themselves. So uh, if people want to find out more about you, you mentioned you're on Twitter uh, at uh, Mexopolis. Uh, how else can can folks find out more about you uh, and and Sondra, what you guys are up to, what Mexopolis is up to, etc. Pretty much uh, uh, Mexopolis on Twitter or go to our website, mexopolis.com. Uh, and also, uh, I just did a virtual reality short for uh, Google. And so if you go online, you can, you can uh, it's in my Twitter, you can find it, and it's free. Anybody can experience it. It's eight minutes long. Uh, and then I'm currently uh, directing a Lego movie that will hopefully come out in 2020. So here we are. Oh my gosh! <laughs> well, we'll have you back on. That's when, yeah, exactly. That's when we'll have you back on. You come back on uh, as part of your press junket for uh, <laughs> for uh, for the Lego movie. Um, and and uh, what is the, the VR thing? Is Son of Jaguar? Son of, Son of Jaguar. <clears throat> All right, yeah. awesome. So and wanna... so you can watch it without the goggles. Yeah, you can now watch it on your computer. Okay. All right. Awesome. Uh, so mexopolis.com. We'll, all of that stuff will be linked to on our website, insideacting.net. Um, but thank you again so much, Jorge. Uh, and uh, we wish you all the continued success. Um, and thanks for sharing. And salsa. Your, and salsa. And, yeah, success <laughs> and salsa. Uh, tacos and salsa. And uh, um, uh, thank you again for, for sharing your, your uh, inspiring story with us. Thank you guys so much for having me. It was it was a blast, and I, I and now I'm hungry too. I feel like <laughs> we should all go get tacos. Man. Hey, everybody! Welcome back. I love the quote you put in the outline here, AJ. The tacos of success are dripping with the salsa of failure. <laughs> that was his nugget. Oh, it's so good. So uh, good. Jasmine so good. and I went out uh, either that night or the night after for tacos and took a picture and sent it to him or, or posted it online and tagged him in it. And he immediately liked it and was like, yes. Oh, so awesome. such a cool interview. He's such generous uh, person. And you can really tell he cares about not just his art, but like you said, Trev, people. He cares about people and he cares about the work that he is doing you know and that's it's so it, you can tell it just exudes out of him so someday maybe we'll talk get a chance to talk to him again you never right. know you never know all right all right uh what's your pick of the week so my pick of the week was is a movie that was watched <laughs> i'm terrible at grammar on Valentine's Day, so it's a rom-com, romantic comedy, called What If, uh, starring um, Daniel Radcliffe and um, Zoe Kazan. It was really, really good. So well written. Uh, Adam Driver's in it as well. Like he, he plays this, his character is fantastic. Um, there's a quote in the trailer. If you watch the trailer that um is really funny and i was like oh man they like they put like the funniest line in the trailer i hate when you know comedies do that it's not the case and actually in that same scene he goes on to say something right afterwards it's even funnier so it's a very strongly written uh screenplay uh we really really enjoyed it and i, I looked up the screenwriter uh, to see if he'd done anything else and he really hasn't and i'm so confused i'm like how does this happen like he was he won all these awards, <clears throat> these like screenwriting awards. And then he had this film made and then uh, seemingly no action after that. And I actually brought it up to Ben one night. I, w I went over to Ben Whitehair's uh, apartment to, to put something on tape or something like that. And I, I mentioned this to him and he said, you know, sometimes there can be somebody working as a writer and they're working nonstop either, you know, whatever, they're punching up scripts or doing something. They're, they're working nonstop. But um, for whatever reason, for one reason or another, they aren't working on like their own screenplays, their own 
stuff, something that would end up a credit on IMDb. So it looks like they're not working to someone who's like sort of outside of their circle. Um, So I hope that's what's going on with this guy just because I hope he is still working um, because it was just so good. Just a really, really well-written uh, romantic comedy based on a, on a play, which is crazy. Cause then you, when you watch it, like there's some international stuff in there, like it, it goes kind of all over the world. And I'm like, how, how did they stage this? You know, when they staged it, but, um, you know, sometimes romantic comedies can be kind of, um, saccharine or uh, melodramatic or whatever. And this one was just like, I don't know, the, just the way that they, they, did it the the writing the acting everything it was like it was very believable i really enjoyed it so that's it what if check it out good movie is on something netflix or something yeah definitely on amazon amazon prime i can see there you go i I like good movies that are based on plays that's always a (laughs) has a little nice spot in my heart uh what is your pick of the week my pick of the week is a book called The Spender's Guide to Debt-Free Living. It's by a blogger named Anna Newell-Jones. Her website is andthenwesaved.com. And this book, The Spender's Guide to Debt-Free Living, is a book that I actually picked up from Faye Wolf, another long-ago podcast guest. She posted about this book on Instagram right around the end of the year, right during the holidays. And um, she had said how she had read this book over the course of the past year and had implemented a lot of what she learned. And the big thing is uh, what what she calls a spending rest or a, a shopping ban of some kind. And these are sort of like a thing in the news now these days. A lot of people are saying, I'm going to go cold turkey and not buy anything but necessities for X amount of time. Some people do a day, some do a weekend, some do a whole week, some do months, some do a full year. Uh, and I, I, I read a lot of personal finance blogs, so I'm sort of familiar with the concept, but I never thought it was something I needed to do. And I read this book, and we talked about this last episode, AJ, but I had to cut a lot of it, I think almost all the talk on on, on our debt repayment strategies. I had to cut all that for time. But uh, you and I are both on our own journey of repaying our, our debt and building a secure financial future for ourselves. And for me, when I went back through my finances, I saw a lot of opportunity to trim the fat. And I dug back into a lot of the YNAB webinars, the free trainings that YNAB offers. And I took a lot of what I learned in this book and I created a really sort of, I don't want to say strict, but exacting budget for myself. And I just made the commitment. I was like, you know what, this year, I am going to just put 100% of my focus as far as finances go on paying down my debt. So that number one means living a very sort of rigorous existence when it comes to where I spend my money, which is, as, we, as we've talked about on this show before, your money is really just your life energy, just represented in a different form. So I'm going to be very rigorous about where I put that uh, with the focus on digging myself out of a, of a hole of credit card debt, as many uh, people in the U.S. at least uh, are, are mm-hmm. uh, familiar with. And, uh, and then secondly, you know, increasing my income and just really just getting out from under this rock of, of honestly, it's, it's like slavery. It's what it feels like a lot of the time when you've just got all this money you owe to these other people and every month the, the bill is due and I don't like that. I don't like that anymore. I'm, I'm old <laughs> enough to be like, no, I'm over this. I don't want to be a slave to anybody. This book was was a revelation for me. It's very sort of simple. It's definitely written for a female audience, uh, but I got a lot out of it. Again, it's called The Spender's Guide to Debt-Free Living. There's a link to that on our website in the show notes, along with a link to this film that AJ uh, watched on Valentine's Day called What If?, And then lastly, we have a a listener pick from Jasmine, which is very timely. This is sort of a piggybacking on what we talked about uh, a lot at the beginning of the last episode. Do you want to talk about this, AJ? Obviously, we mentioned the school shooting last week and um, Jasmine, you know, I was I was she was listening in and I was sort of grappling with, you know, what do we what do we do? What do we do? And um, she learned about this website through Amy Schumer, who has been a a big advocate for gun control and safety, um, particularly after the Aurora shooting happened during a screening of one of her films. It's called everytown.org. And it's a great sort of jumping off point in terms of learning what you can do. You know, uh, like I said last week, one of the challenges is feeling so helpless in, in the face of these tragedies. And, um, 
and uh, it gives you a, it gives you a nice place to get started. Um, there's lots of different ways to get involved, and in, and in, in this website makes for a good sort of amalgamation of those things. You know, read about the issue. You can look at data. You can get involved in your you know find out how you can get involved in your area, join their mailing list, etc. So just a great follow-up to our conversation from, from last week. So that'll be on, I think you put it in the, did you put it in the show notes last week, the the link itself? No, no. Okay. So it'll be in the show notes from this week, but it's everytown.org. Yeah. I've seen more than a few celebrities uh, share this on their social media feeds in the past couple of weeks here. And I'm looking at the website and it's a very sharp website and right there front and center front page it says, an action plan to kick out lawmakers beholden to the gun lobby. And if you click through some of these, these um, header graphics, it talks about uh, resources they have to find out how much money our elected officials have accepted from the NRA to keep a lot of these gun laws lax. Uh, and then different sort of statistics and whatnot for things like suicide and how many homicides there have been throughout the, the years and where and what the different gun laws uh, mean by state. Uh, it looks like a really sadly necessary resource. So yeah. uh, everytown.org. All right, link on our website along with everything else. Uh, that's it, I think, for this episode, yeah? Yeah. Right. Let's roll out. Let's boogie. So today's episode, guys, thank you for listening. It was produced and hosted by us, Trevor Algott and AJ Meyer. Uh, the team also includes Jen Levin and Grace Gordon. Visit us online at InsideActing.net to sign up for our weekly email dispatch and listen to all of our episodes. We're, of course, also on social media and pretty much wherever else you get your podcasts. And if you guys would like, you can continue to support the production of Inside Acting uh, with either a one-time financial contribution or an ongoing monthly contribution. Uh, as we've said earlier in this episode and last episode, we're not 100% sure what the future of the podcast is going to be, but you can help keep the feed online as a resource for people all over the world to navigate this industry uh, a little bit more smoothly. So if you'd like to help us do that, uh, pay it forward, uh, contribute to the community, even just a couple bucks will keep us online for uh, at least another month or so. Um, so if we get, you know, 100 of those bam this thing could be up for a good chunk of time helping people out all over the world so just visit us at insideacting.net to learn more if you've gotten value from this podcast at all over the years um now's the time to let us know insideacting.net to make your contribution thank you very much and that's it for episode 304 thanks for listening we'll see you next week and in the meantime it's taco time I want some failure salsa on mine. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. <laughs> Taco time sounds good to oh, me, man. God. Uh, all right. Let me do it again then.